Well, if you grew up in religion, you may have had the experience that you learned a lot of good things, but how many of you have noticed in life, and it isn't just religion, it's human nature. How many of you noticed that you can get a lot of stuff and miss the main thing? I mean, you can learn this and learn that, and it's all helpful and beneficial, but the main thing can sell right by you. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I love the story. It's a guy that was a border agent, and uh, there was a guy that kept coming across the border in a truck, and he'd come across the border in a truck and go back in a truck, and it started happening several times a month, so the border agent got suspicious and figured the guy was smuggling something, figured it was drugs. So he started uh, searching him. Have him pull his truck over the side of the road. They'd search him and they'd body search. And then they would go through the truck and they would search it with a fine-tooth comb. They still couldn't find any narcotics or any kind of contraband. So they started bringing in dogs, sniffing dogs, you know, and they still couldn't find anything. And then several times over the years, they would just take his trucks apart. I mean, just go in there, pull the tires off, the wheels off, look inside, look in the undercarriage, pull the upholstery out of the doors and off the seats. But they never could figure out what the guy was smuggling. But they knew he was smuggling something. I mean, he's just back and forth all the time, you know, drove his truck across, drove his trucks back. And uh, so finally, the last day, uh, after, after 30 years of service, the border agent's retiring. And I mean, it's the end of the day. And sure enough, here comes a guy in his truck. I mean, this is the last person this border agent's going to see before he turns in his badge. And so he finally says to the guy, look, I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to talk to me. He said, look, I'm taking my badge off. I'm not, I'm not a border agent anymore. He said, you just driven me crazy all these years. I've seen you come back and forth hundreds of times in your truck. And I, we can't figure out what in the world you're smuggling. So here's the thing. He said, listen, I'm not going to turn you in. I'm not going to tell on you. This is just between you and me. This just helped me sleep at night. Would you just please tell me what you're smuggling? He said, trucks. I almost get that feeling sometimes when I think about growing up in, in church, and I've learned a lot of beneficial things, but the more I begin to unpack this incredible five-chapter book called First John, the more I see that the Christian life is love. And if you were here last week, and I hope that you were, but if you weren't, you can download this message because you'll really need it in order to sync up with this one to some degree. But what we learned last week is that the whole Jesus life is about loving God and loving others. In fact, here's what Jesus said in last week's talk. We saw this in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said all the commandments hang on the commandment to love God and to love others. So in other words, everything that God ever said to anyone about how to order his or her life, it all comes back to loving God and loving people. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to ask ourselves the question as we explore 1 John, we're going to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing on that? How are we doing on loving God and loving people. Um, and real quickly, a couple things before we jump into this. The first thing I want to get across is, in case you weren't here last week, the kind of love that the Bible is talking about is true love. And we saw that there are four Greek words that can be translated into English love, but only one of them is the kind of love that God is talking about. We discovered that God's love is not romantic love. It's got its place. Sex, they have their places. But that's not what God is talking about here. It's not the, the love that we have naturally, the love that lets you make, makes you let somebody in front of you in traffic in your lane, you know, and you hang back and let them in, the kind of love that makes you feel sorry for someone, the kind of love that makes you pat your dog, the kind of love you have when you say, I love chocolate ice cream. That's called storge or natural love, uh, but that's not the kind of love God's talking about. He's not even talking about friendship. Friendship is that love that we reserve for a few people in our lives with whom we are soulmates, but even that's not the kind of love God's talking about. In fact, and this is really important, it's so important that you get this, the kind of love that God is talking about, you and I are not capable of on our own. As I shared with you last week, you can take those first three kinds of love, sexual romantic love, natural love, and friendship love, all of those are like reservoirs. 
And we have a certain capacity for each one of those, and we dip in and then we pour out, but ultimately they are limited in scope. The kind of love that God is talking about is not like a reservoir, but like a river. In fact, in the book of Romans chapter 5, in the fifth verse, the Bible says that this particular kind of love is poured out on us, and it is from God. It's like a river that flows through us. It is basically God loving through us. So here is the deal. If you want to have this kind of love, it's the Jesus life. First and foremost, you must have a relationship with God because only if God is living inside of you do you have the capacity to love like this. Here's the thing. I really said I had two things to lead up to the talk, but let me give you three. Here's the second thing I want to give you is love's not a feeling. You know, I remember when I was a young, you know, a kid, there was a song out about a guy that had been in love and he wasn't in love anymore and he said, the feeling's gone and I just can't get it back. Love's not a feeling, not this kind of love. The reason I know that is that we're commanded to love. See, I can't, comm- I can't be commanded to feel a kind of way. If you say to me, Mark, I command you to be happy, I may want to be happy, but I can't be happy on command. That's a feeling. But this is a kind of love in which we choose or decide to love. And, you know, the thing about it is, if God commands us to love everyone, remember Jesus said, love your enemies? In effect, what will happen is you will love people that you don't like. I'm thankful that God didn't command me to like people. Because some people I, don't, I just can't like. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I liked them. I don't like them. They're, they're, they're impossible to like, right? I mean, there are just people like, but thankfully, God didn't say like everybody. But he said love everybody. So see, here's the thing, is, as we see in our culture. It's possible to like people and not love them. It's also possible to love people and not like them. So that's the thing that we need to realize. It's not a feeling. Second thing. Third thing is I want you to kind of understand what this talk is going to be about. Um, the title of the talk officially is True Love Part 2. But if there, was a, if there was a secondary title to my talk today, I would call it the love panel. And I'll tell you why I say that. You know, I'm sure like, like many of you, I have a physical every year. And I go in to see my doctor, and you know he, he pokes and prods and asks questions. And, but after he gets through with all that, he says, hey, I want you to go down to the lab, and they're going to do a blood panel on you. And I always find that kind of interesting, because when I go down to the lab, they only check one thing. They check blood. They don't check brain matter. They don't check bone. They don't check muscle. They don't check tendons. I go down there, they check one thing. They check blood. Now, what I'm always amazed at is when I get the report back, even though I can't make sense of any of those letters that are there, I can't, I can't cease to be amazed, no matter how many times I've had a blood panel, how many things they can tell about what's going on inside me from blood, just that one substance. And if I think about love as far as how it is in our lives from an existential basis, love is kind of like blood. If, if God checks our love, he, it, it gives all kinds of reports for every aspect of our lives. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the book of 1 John because more than any other book in the Bible, what we're going to see is we're going to see the love test interpreted. It's like getting your blood panel and being able to know what your cholesterol is and you're going to be able to know, uh, you know how your liver function's doing. You're going to know so much about who you are spiritually by this love test. And all we're going to do is walk through the book of 1 John. Now, Here's the thing. The reason why this is so critical, and somebody could be here and you say, well, Mark, I'm from religion. I think it has a lot more to do. It's more, it's, there's a lot more here than love. Um, but you've got to remember what Jesus said. In John 13, he would say on the night of his arrest to his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love. So in other words, 
you know, you can, you can study the Bible. That's a wonderful thing. You have a Christian bumper sticker on your car. I guess that's a good thing. You listen to Christian radio and do all kinds of things that Christians do. But if there's no love in your heart, well, we're going to see the thing. Now, we're going to set this up into two parts. The first part of the talk today is going to be about a person who lives what I'm going to call the selfie life. And there's nothing wrong with taking selfies. I take selfies too. But you know what a selfie is. A selfie is a picture of you that you take yourself and you're sort of framed by the rest of the world. Now, in regard to a picture, there's nothing wrong with that. But if a person sees life on those terms, there's something very wrong with that. They're living the selfie life. So here's the deal. You always know that when you study the Bible, it's a life about self versus a life about others. I really believe that every one of us gets up in the morning, even though we may not frame this verbally, we get up in the morning with one of two questions. Either the question, what will I get today? Or what will I bring today? If a person wakes up, and even though they don't articulate it, if a person wakes up in the morning and it's all about what can I get today, then it's a selfie life. And there's no love there. I mean, they may claim to love. You know, here's the deal. And again, I'm, I haven't used this in a sermon, but I was amazed uh, about the crisis in Darfur. There was a, a national organization that uh, tried to drum up support for the, for the suffering people in Darfur. And they got, I think it was like several million likes on Facebook. But when they began to unpack it, they found out that 99.8% never gave a penny. And I think this was the president of one of the Ivy League schools who said this. He said today, we live in a world where the idea of doing something electronically is like junk food. People think they're doing something, but they're not really doing anything that matters. And so it's not about what we say about ourselves in regard to love and compassion and empathy and feeling. It all comes down to whether we live the selfie life, what can I get or what can I bring? Now, here we go. We're going to look at five things that 1 John tells us in the love panel in regard to the selfie life. Now, this is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. If you're looking in your Bible, if you have your Bible app out, the Bible says, if anyone claims... Now, listen, guys, I grew up in church, so that's the reason why I've got this word in all big letters, Okay? Because people in church claim a lot of things that their life doesn't back up. That's why people say the church is full of hypocrites. If anyone claims I'm living in the light, okay, let's stop right there. Look at the word light. We're going to see something today that is a, it, it's, it's just huge to our culture because our culture gets this exactly wrong. What we're going to see over and over in the book of John is there is a nexus between love and truth. There is no love without truth. There is no truth without love. So we live in a world today where people think, well, there is love and there is truth. But with God, there is no love without truth and there is no truth without love. Let me give you an illustration of this. This is hokey, but work with me for a moment. We're in basketball season. Suppose you had a basketball team, a couple of basketball teams, and they are world-class basketball teams. They're going to be in the NCAA. Let's just say they're going to be in the Final Four. The only problem is you have no ball and you have no court. Now, they're out there going through the motions of dribbling and shooting and all this kind of stuff, but you're saying, it's not a basketball game. Why? Because there's no court. There, there, there's, there, are, no, there are no hoops. There, there are no out-of-bounds. There's no half-court. So consequently, although they may be talented and gifted, there's no basketball without a court and without a ball and without hoops, and so it is with love. A person can have love, but if there's no truth, if there's no platform of truth for that love to be expressed, it's just people going through the motions. Now, look at this. If a person claims I'm living in the truth, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living 
in darkness. So here's the thing. The selfie life or no love shows that a person is living in darkness. In other words, a person is living in a, they're living with a, quote, reality that does not exist. Um, I, I want to appeal to the great intellect C.S. Lewis on this because he wrote something that I thought was very powerful. So please bear with me. I wrote, I wrote it down in ink. I just wanted to read it to you today. To love is to be vulnerable. Love anyone and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. So the Bible says this, a person can can say, hey, I'm in truth, I I am a God follower, I'm a Jesus person, I'm a member of New Spring. But if that person does not love his brother or sister, that person is walking in darkness or living in darkness. I gave away the next thing I wanted to share with you. Look at verse 11 because it says, not only is this person still living in darkness, this person is walking in darkness. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to walk around your house when all the lights are out? You discover all kinds of things on the floor, don't you? Stuff you never knew was there. I mean, how many of you right now, you're reaching for your toes because they still hurt from hitting a corner that you didn't even know was in your house? See, here's the thing. It's one thing to be sitting in darkness and not, not just feeling frozen because you have no light. It's something else to say, well, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and try to function. And that describes our world today. We have a whole group of people who are like living in darkness but trying to go on and function in the darkness. Now let's look at the second thing that we learn here. This is in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. Number two, no love shows a person doesn't know how to get where they're going. Hey, if I'm in a dark place and I can't walk around, I don't know the pathway to get from here to there. And think about this for a moment. We live in a world today of smart, well-educated people that don't have a clue about life. I not only speak here, but I speak for conferences and corporations, and because of that, I travel, and I'm on airplanes, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I have sat beside some of the smartest people in the world on airplanes, people that have started companies, products that you've used, some of the smartest people in the world, people that had it, and yet when you ask them about life, they have no idea where they're going. They know where their company's going, but they don't know where they're going. And the Bible says it's a problem. There's just an absence of love. This is a person who's still asking, what can I get out of life? It's the selfie life. And the Bible says this person doesn't know where they're going. Number three, still doing the love panel. This is for people that live the selfie life. Number three, the selfie life is stingy. This is in chapter three, 17th verse. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion. Now, real quickly, it doesn't mean that you have everything you want, but it's just saying if you have what you need and you see a brother or sister in need, but you show no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? You know, (laughs) you you want to just have an entertaining afternoon sometime? Just surf the web for people, just crazy, stupid stuff, miserly stuff that rich people do. I mean, there's stories of people who live in gated communities and still apply for their kids to have free lunch. Just some crazy stuff. 
Did you know, and I've told you this before, but I was just researching it again this week. Did you know that the more money people make, the less generous they are? I was looking at a bar graph, and the left side of the bar graph was people who made under $10,000, under $15,000, under $25,000, I think. And the first bar was very tall. It was people who make under $10,000 a year as far as the percentage of money they give away to those in need. And then the bar got a little shorter, but it was still tall. It was people that made under 15000 and then people who made under 25000 All of a sudden, the bar flipped, and it went from green bars to red bars, and the bars were below the line. These are people that made over $50,000 a year, over seventy-five, dollars over $100,000 a year. The more money people make, the more they keep, the more they hoard. Now, there's got to be a psychological, social component to that. That's not an accident. Why do people who make the least amount of money, why are they generous? Because they know what it's like to go through hard times. And they're empathetic when they see others who are going through hard times. Why is it when we overfed, underworked Americans, why is it the more we make, the stingier we are? It's because we quit having people in our lives who have needs, or at least we quit paying attention to them. We're like the priest and the Levite of Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan just walked over to the other side of the road and pretended they're not there. But here's the deal. That can, be an op- that can be a topic for conversation until we get to the point where we are today. Because the point where we are today is the Bible is checking our love panel, and the Bible is saying, look, if you can have what you need in life and walk right past someone who needs something and you don't show, show compassion, well, there's a question here. How can God's love be in that person? Ouch. Well, let's go on. <clears throat> it's getting quiet. <clears throat> This is the one I struggle with the most, though. I don't want to believe this. Because the Bible says the selfie life shows, look at this. There's a dormant killer inside. Wait a minute. I mean, I, didn't, I, I know, I, you know, it's one thing not to have love and to be all about self, but a killer. But look at what the Bible says. This is 1 John three fifteen. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that no, murderers don't have eternal life in them. Well, Before we go, he's like, I don't hate anybody. Well, we might want to hear what hate means in the Bible. It means to detest someone. It means to consider someone completely worthless. It's not a rage kind of hate. It's just a a vacuous kind of hate. And the Bible says this, anyone who hates another brother has a murderer living inside. Well, you know, we, we, we struggle with that. It's like, well, you know what? I, there, there's a person I just detest, but I'm not going to kill him. A couple things real quick. When Jesus was on the earth, he made a comment one day. He said, you've heard it said growing up that you should not commit adultery. But he said, I tell you that anyone who lusts after someone who's not his or her spouse, that person's committed adultery already in that person's heart. What Jesus is saying is, look, lust and adultery are on the same paint chip. (laughs) One's just a lighter shade of, of, of the same color. And then he went on to say, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, he said, you've heard it said that you should not murder someone, but a person who is angry with a brother without a cause has committed murder already in his heart. So what Jesus is saying is, hate and murder are on the same paint chip. They're the same color. Not every killing, you listening please? Not every killing leaves a body. There's a lot of killing that doesn't leave a body. 
I've known people, they would never commit physical murder, but their absence of love has murdered a marriage. I've seen parents who were all about self and murdered a child's well-being. I've seen people who never killed anyone, but they were so into self when it came to dating, they murdered the hopes and dreams of people who thought they were serious. Not every killing leaves a body. The Bible says if we don't love, there's a murder inside. Okay, number five, this is the last one. Living the selfie life shows a person, no matter how religious, doesn't know God. We've been leading up to this all along. This is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This sort of works like the transitive principle of mathematics, remember? If you don't love, then you don't know God because God is love. So in other words, a person who loves, we're going to see in just a few moments, the kind of love that God has, they know God because God is love. But if a person doesn't love, they cannot know God because God is love. Now, Jesus talked about this. He talked about the judgment. And there would be a lot of people queued up at the judgment thinking they were going to heaven. And Jesus is going to tell them that you don't go to heaven, you're going to hell. And then he talked about the way they were going to protest. They, he said many, many, not, not a few, but a many people will say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we preach in your name? And we preached sermons. Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? And didn't we, didn't we do all kinds of good stuff in your name? And Jesus said, in that day, I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Go away from me. Now, what did he say right after that? He said, I was sick and you didn't visit me. I was in prison and you didn't care for me. And he said that they will say in that day, Lord, we, we didn't know you were hungry. <clears throat> If we'd known you were hungry, we'd have brought you some food. Lord, we didn't know you were in jail. If we'd known you were in jail, we'd have done something about it. And Jesus said, because you didn't do it for the least of these, you, did, you didn't do it for me. And guys, <clears throat> this is the truth today. <clears throat> Living the selfie life shows a person, no matter how religious they are, they don't know God. Well, that's enough. Let's flip this. Let's go to the other side. Because here's the deal. I'm, I'm guessing th there's probably no one here that's just completely vacuous and totally devoted to self. I don't think you'd go to New Spring. You might go to another church, but you wouldn't come here. <clears throat> I don't want to believe that. Here's, here's this, because a lot of you are freaking out right now. It's like, oh my goodness, am I going to heaven? <clears throat> let, me, let me give you a real quick test on that. Do you want to have this kind of love? Is there something within you that craves to have this kind of life. You say, Mark, I'm not perfect and I struggle, but is there something within you that says, this is the kind of life I want to live? I want to be the person that gets up in the morning and says, what can I bring, not what can I get? Well, if that desire is in your heart, there's a really strong probability that you are already a God follower. So today, considering that we want to grow in our love, let's look at the other side of this panel, and what does it show when we have God's love in us? Well, number one, this is going to be easy because we saw the opposite of it in the first part of the message. Number one, love shows that we are living in the light or living in the truth. Now, look at this. This is in 1 John chapter, survey says, <laughs> chapter 2, verse 10. If someone says, I love God, oh, let me, let's, we're in chapter 2, verse 10. 
I'm going to read it to you, okay? Here we go. First John 2, 10. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light. Now, you know, here's the deal. This is the kind of statement in 1 John that kind of gives me a challenge. Because, like, what exactly does that mean in real terms? Here's what the Bible is saying. If I love people and love God, I am living in reality, in real reality. Not postmodern reality that says you have your reality, I have my reality. If I love God and love people, I can see what's important in life, and I live my life according to truth. Well, I got a lesson on this this week as I was getting ready for this talk. Let me give it again. Let's make it even more practical. If you are living in truth, truth is bigger than you. If I am not living in truth, I am bigger than truth. So consequently, if I am loving God and loving people, because of the humility that produces in my life, I am open to correction. How many of you have discovered that a lot of times we push back against correction? In fact, some of you are like, I wish I hadn't come today because I didn't really like the first part of that message. Well, it's because God is correcting us, and it's just natural. Hey, I struggle with that too. Um, it was really, really cold a couple weeks ago. I mean, brutally cold here. And so it was late, and, and Mary Alice wanted to go to Dylan's, and I said, well, let me, let me just take you there, and I'll drop you off right at the door, and I'll pick you up at the door, because I don't want you to have to walk in a cold parking lot. So she said, okay. And so I dropped her off at our Dylan's, and like I said, there was nobody in the parking lot hardly. And I said, now, Mary Alice, look over there. There's a little lane right there outside the door, a little fire lane there. I'm just going to pull over there, and I'm going to wait for you in the fire lane. Just come out there. So I was waiting for a few minutes, listening to music. Next thing I know, there's a guy knocking on my door. He said, you're in a fire lane. You need to move your car. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I've never seen a fire truck here. <laughs> I've shopped here for years. And the whole parking lot is empty out there, and it's cold. And he said, you're going to have to move your car. Well, I moved my car. Now, here's the thing. I was in Dillon's last week, same Dillon's, and I saw that man. And for a flash of a moment, there was resentment in me. That man told me to move my car. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit of God talked to me. Now, I, in case Joy Behar is here this morning. And Joy's on the view. I'm not sure how much they can see from there, but in any event, <clears throat> she said, people who hear from God are insane, you know, so I don't want to freak her out. <laughs> people fragile today. I, I didn't hear God speak out loud, but it was like God spoke to my spirit. God said, did you know that was a fire lane when you pulled into it? Did you see the red paint on that curb? Boy, can't you read? You knew how to read when you're five years old. Can't you read the words Farling? And then here's what God said to me. He said, wasn't that man doing his job? I'm telling you, we had, God and me had a special moment out there in the parking lot. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. If you are a selfie life person, nobody can correct you because you're bigger than truth. You're not really, but you think you are. If you're a person who loves, you want correction because you want to live your life in the truth. Okay, I got to hustle. Here we go. Love shows, number one, that we're living in the truth. Number two, look at this verse. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, <clears throat> it proves that we have passed from death unto life. Now, this is interesting because the word passed in this verse means to go from one location to another location. 
I love what Colossians chapter 1 says. The Bible says, He, that's God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Every time I read that verse, I think about, well, I'm confessing a lot today. It's my time to confess again. Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But in any event, I hope all of the kids are in kids' world today because I need to confess something I did in sixth grade. Um, When I was in sixth grade, I, I... it was a sort of a transitional time. When I was in elementary school, elementary school went from first to sixth grade, and then you went to junior high in seventh, eighth, and ninth. Actually changed while I was in junior high school, from junior high to middle school, so I was only there two years. But toward the end of the sixth grade in elementary school, uh, we were given uh, what, what were called achievement tests. And it wasn't the standardized test that we took every year. It wasn't the Iowa test of basic skills. But it was a different kind of test. But it was the same kind. You have a little book with questions. You have a, a sheet, response sheet. You take a little number two pencil and you fill in the holes, in, you know, the A, B, C, or D, or whatever the answer is in response to the question. But um, the, the teacher said this. She said, when you get through, there's, there's going to be two or three days of tests. She said, when you get through with the test, you can read a book. Well, I've always been a voracious reader. I mean, I, I just inhale books. So I had a book I was working on. When the teacher said, when you get through, then you can just read a book. When I'm thinking, well, I can figure this thing out. So I just took my number two pencil and filled in the holes at random. <laughs> turned in my, you know, put, you know, turned the test over and got my book out read. What I did not know was when I got into middle school, which is much larger than my little community elementary school in Forest Hill, side of Fort Worth. What I did not know was those tests were to place you in middle school according to the class you belonged in. There were remedial classes, there were regular classes, there were honors classes, and there were accelerated classes where they took the next year's work. So I get over into middle school, and guess what? I'm in all remedial classes. I kind of liked it because it was easy. But something began to happen. One of the vice principals would come in, and he would come into our room and knock on the door and say, can I have Mark Hoover, please? And I need his attendance card. So my teacher would give the vice principal attendance card. He would take me, he said, hey, I'm taking you out of this class, and he would transfer me into a regular class. And then after a week or so of that, they would come get me, and they would get my attendance card and transfer me into an honors class. And a couple of times, I was even transferred into an accelerated class. I was in seventh grade, and I'd been in every one of the classes. <laughs> now, here's what the Bible says, that before you become a Jesus follower... You are in the kingdom of darkness, but the moment when you invited Jesus into your life, God's Holy Spirit comes and gets you in your attendance card, and he transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Now, love, if I'm not living the selfie life, what it shows is it shows I've been transferred. It shows that I'm not, and here's what I love about this, that word past we looked at a moment ago, it means that we're We're in this kingdom never to go back. The Jesus life, listen to me please, is not a dabbling kind of life. It's not something, the real Jesus life is not not a little something that you come and spend a few minutes at New Spring on Sunday or Saturday night. That's not the Jesus life. The Jesus life is when you have determined, I was on the wrong road, but I don't want to be on that road anymore. And I want to love God and I want to love people. And God moves into my life and begins to love through me. And what that shows is I have gone from one location. I've been transferred from one class to another class. And here's the best part. I'm not going back anymore. It's like we sang in all my hope in Jesus. It's never going to be the same anymore. 
again, I'm, I'm giving away my age, and most of you will not remember this because you're too young. But in the late 60s, from 1967 to 1970, one of the world's greatest tragedies happened in a part of Nigeria. There was a part of Nigeria on the western side that broke off. It was known as Biafra. And the Nigerian government cut off all supplies into Biafra. And it was just a colossal tragedy. In fact, Steve, uh, Steve Jobs would say that's the reason why he was not a God follower. He saw starving children, pictures of starving children in Biafra. And he went the wrong direction with that. But it was awful. In fact, at one point, a thousand children a day were starving to death in Biafra. And there were all kinds of problems with illness. It was terrible. But the Red Cross got involved as well as a lot of other fine organizations. And the Red Cross began to ask America. I remember I was in middle school, starting high school. They asked if Americans would give for the starving people of Biafra. And one thing they really needed uh, was cloth strips to bind up wounds. And they asked for it. And at the collection site, there was a box that came in, and after they like, looked into the box briefly, they could tell it was fabric of some kind, but there was a letter in the top of the box. So whoever received the box opened up the letter and looked inside, and it said, recently, we have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, and we will never need these again. If you can use them, please use them. What was in the box was white sheets, and the white sheets had holes cut in the eyes. I want to tell you something. When you really get to know Jesus, you're going to love people. And the weird thing is you're going to love people you didn't used to like. You're going to love people you didn't used to love. There won't be any racism in your heart if you know Jesus. There won't be any class hatred if you know Jesus. That's, that's how you'll know, see. That's how you'll know. The Bible says we know that we, we've been transferred out of this class and transferred into this class. We will know that we have passed and not going back from death to life when we love people, okay? Let's move on. Got to go quickly here. This is number um, three. Love keeps us from falling into traps and setting traps for others. Now, I don't have much time here, but I just want to do something. Um, I want to read 1 John 2.10 in two translations, my favorite two translations, the NLT and the NIV. So watch this, okay, because I'm going to need you to help me with this. This is going to be interesting. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. Okay, that's the New Living Translation. Now let's look at this in the New International Version. Whoever loves his brother lives in light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Oh, one translation says we don't cause others to stumble. This translation says we don't stumble. Which one is right? I think they're both right. Because in the Greek, it just says whoever loves, no stumbling. See, there's something about, and by the way, the word stumbling there, we get, it's from the Greek word scandalon. Guess which word we get from that? In other words, what the Bible is saying is the person who loves they're not going to cause other people scandal because they're not trying to manipulate people to get what they want out of life. And on top of that, there's nothing in them that makes them live for self and they walk in darkness and they stumble. So the Bible is saying, look, whoever loves, the good news is there will not be scandal in this person's life because this person cares about God and cares about others. Okay, this will be where we finish. Number four, we're talking about the love panel. What is, if we look inside and we find love, maybe not perfect love, but growing love, 
What do we know about ourselves? Well, this is where we'll close. Living in love demonstrates God to a hurting, broken world. Verse 12, chapter 4. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Some of them say, well, Mark, how do I know if I love God? Because God is invisible, and it's kind of challenging, and I sort of love him in an existential way, but how can I know if I love God? Well, the Bible has said this twice. We've seen it on the negative side, now the positive side. The Bible said if we, if we don't love our brothers whom we can see, how, how can we lay claim to loving God whom we can't see? And now the Bible is going to flip that and go positive. The Bible is saying if we love our brothers whom we can see and our sisters whom we can see, it's a sign that we love God. Wow, that's really powerful. You know, I've been a pastor for 41, over 41 years. And I think just about every day of my life, I think about how can I draw other people to know the Jesus that I know. And I'm just bearing my heart to you. When I was a young Christ follower, and I started pastoring so early, I was 20. I think the Christian community believed that sharing your faith was about technique. And there were all kinds of techniques that I were taught, that I was taught, some beneficial. What to say, what not to say, how to how to go into an opening and how to get people to make the decision and all those things. Believe me, I've been on this odyssey for a long time. Let me tell you what I've come to believe. I believe if those of us who were Jesus followers would love people, there would be an open door to people coming to Jesus. I was reading the story of Doug Nichols, who's a longtime missionary to India, and back in 1967, he contracted tuberculosis, and he had to be in a TB ward. Wretched, wretched place. He didn't speak the language. They all spoke Parsi there, and he didn't. And, uh, but he was concerned about all these men who were in this ward with him who were suffering from per- tuberculosis and other things. And so <clears throat> he tried to share with them his faith, and the only thing he had was of what we used to call tracts. They were like little pamphlets that had the gospel in their language, and so he tried to pass them out. They didn't take it. They didn't want it. Well, anyway, Doug woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning with a coughing fit, and he couldn't stop coughing. But while he was awake, he looked across, and there was this elderly man groaning and crying and trying to push himself up off the bed, but he couldn't get up. And the next morning, Doug knew what was going on because the elderly man had been trying to go to the bathroom, but he couldn't get out of bed, and so he had soiled himself, and the place reeked, and other patients were cursing and screaming at him, and the nurse came in to see what was wrong, and she saw what happened, tried to clean up the bed, slapped the old man, well, the next night, Doug woke up again because he heard the crying of this elderly man and looked across. He's trying to get out of bed again. So Doug got up out of bed, went over to him, picked him up, helped him get to the bathroom, the toilet, which was just a hole in the floor. And he helped him get back to the bed. And the old man kissed him on the cheek when he put him back to bed. The next morning when Doug woke up, there was a hot steaming cup of tea that another one of the patients had made for him because he saw what he did the night before. And as this patient, other patient brought him the tea, he said, could I have one of those papers that you tried to give away yesterday? And one by one, everyone in that room took those salvation papers until they were all gone. 
I want to talk to those of you who are traditional Christians and you've worked hard to learn and to study and that's to be commended. But I want to tell everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ today, nobody, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. The Jesus life is a life of love. How you doing? Let's look at the love panel. Would you bow your head with me? I know I'm in overtime this morning, but somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm, <clears throat> I, I find myself failing this test. You know what the good news is? You're still breathing. I mean, there are people listening to me today, and you say, Mark, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I, I've been pretty well wrapped up in me. And I, I really kind of live my life by what am I going to get. Well, what do you do about that? Well, remember that love is God loving through you. And if you're willing today to trust in Jesus, to ask him to come into your life, your life can turn around today. That's why the Bible calls this the new birth. It's starting life over again. I love that. Even if, even if a, a person's been selfish here today, you can say, Mark, I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to turn. I'm ready to change my mind. At the moment you invite Jesus to come into your life, there's a power that comes in that's inexplicable. And your life is turned around. Now, you won't be perfect. None of us is. But you'll be on the road. Well, someone can say, well, Mark, how do I begin to live this Jesus life? Well, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray because the Bible says whoever asks, then God will come in. So I'm going to give you a prayer that asks. These are not magic words, but these are words that you can pray with me. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I've gone the road of self, but I'm ready to change. Would you please forgive me and make me your child? I want to know your love, and I want you to love others through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I have a gift bag for you. There's a Bible just like I speak from. There's a book I wrote, a DVD, and some other cool stuff. All you got to do is go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark. Thanks for being here. Part three next weekend. <laughs>